Long way down. Oh, I, I told you, I, I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing, all right? I don't know nothing. Please, just let me go. You know something, and you're gonna tell me what. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. Please, just let me go. Gladly. No! Carl was dead, and Ellie, Ellie was gonna wreck some shit. As the sun set over the beyond, squishy, fragile little Ellie pried the steel stakes from the walls and the ceiling of her home and built a bunker from her body. By sunrise, the blood had dried, the ringing of an impromptu smithy had faded, and metal glinted from her knuckles and joints. Back inside the half-torn house, outside the nursery door, Ellie set the first ever flame on her hat, bracing it with Carl's gifts and precious trinkets. Carl's traveling clothes weighed heavy on her shoulders. Then, with her house in her bones and her heart on her head, Ellie set fire to anything that remained. Ellie was gonna find Carl's killer, and as far as she was concerned, they were as good as dead already. But you never did. Years and years went by, and you never found them. What? <laughs> what? You know, do I ask what was it like to go through that? Do I ask what caused you to stop looking? I, I, I'm... All I can really ask in response to that is just what and when and why. Why Ellie stopped? Yeah. You know... I really should have thought of this beforehand. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think this was going to, like, didn't think about this as a thing that was obviously going to come up because she had to have a reason. Or maybe she didn't have a reason she could describe. It just happened as time passed. She was running out of leads and... You can only trick yourself into thinking that this is where you're going to find something. You you can only trick yourself into thinking that so many times. The Everflame never went out, but this fire did. Yeah. So Ellie lit the second candle. She had an altar of sorts this time too. A hat piled with peonies and pearls and dust and wax. She never had a funeral, though, just weighed down her hat with tucked-away memories and squared her shoulders. She tried to date again eventually. Carl would have wanted her to be loved. Ellie knew that. But loving someone back was so much harder, because no one was Carl. There was a girl with bright eyes, but they weren't bright like Carl's. A man who played the guitar beautifully, but he didn't play like Carl did. One was endearingly clumsy, but didn't laugh enough about it. One was handsome, but his grin didn't have Carl's dimple. A famous singer, a terrible cook, an actress, a fire dancer, a duchess who was very into the Sixth World's political intrigue, an ex-member of the Jagged Dream, polite sewer-dwelling Dave. All of them were, well, them. And there was nothing wrong with them being them, but because they were them, they weren't Carl, and because Ellie loved Carl, she couldn't love them. And that's how things went. And then Ellie met her. 
The whipping of stick-on-skin echoes through the bar as a woman, clouded in smoke, moves her hand back to the dice obscuring her hopscotch score. Through the cloud, one can only make out the bright flames of two candles. And without a word, her dice rattle again as the man in front of her nervously picks up his pair of dice and gently rolls them on the table. Snake eyes. A small whimper lets out from the hopscotch player, and within the cloud of smoke, a bag of rocks starts to clack and clatter. And then... A whistle lets out and a bright voice says, Okay now, wrap up your conversations. Everyone on the inside of the circle, move to the table on your right for the next speed date. (laughs) So this is about uh, 16 years before the present day. Uh, You are in a community center, Ellie. And and you you are trying your hand at some speed dating. It's going real well. <laughs> it's going real well for you. I mean, you've been winning this game of hopscotch, but you can like, like you can tell how many speed dates has happened because you can just count down and like just count how many people are just like bleeding profusely. And that's the number of rounds that have happened in the speed dating. <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I'm assuming at this point, Ellie has been dating a while and a lot like with the Carl thing, I feel like at this point, part of her is just given up. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> And honestly, I I would ask you what brings Ellie here, but honestly, I don't think she knows. I think it's just routine at this point. Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) look at me, moving on. Look at me, putting the past in the past. (laughs) I don't have any emotional baggage here, just going on lighthearted speed dates. After what, probably at least a decade of like terrible dating. Lighthearted speed dates. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so you're not expecting really anything in particular when the next uh, person comes for speed dating. He's a young fuzzy gray boy and he sits down in front of you and he's just really excited. Like his mouth is open and like this big open smile. He has, he's wearing a steampunk cosplay it looks like. So he's got like leather belts crisscrossing his body and each of them has dozens of pouches with miscellaneous antiques. He has two goggles that go over his snout and magnify his eyes so that you can only really see the iris and the pupil of each. And he sits down and he lifts up his leg and he scratches one of the floppy dog ears that he has. I'm just dating a steampunk dog? Um, yeah, well, technically not a dog. Dogs are... Oh yeah, so, dogs don't exist. Well, it's it's not that dogs went extinct. It's that they evolved. So yes, you've, you've got a dog boy in front... You've got a steampunk dog boy in front of you and he's very excited. Little young. Hi, my name is Face. Hi! What is that? And he slams his paws down on the table and he's just... What is that? What is what? And he pokes his head into the, the cloud a little bit and he sniffs um, one of the, the pearls. Oh, that's so old! It smells like death! That's what I'm going for. Really? Really? That's what I'm going for too! And he shows all of his patches uh, of stuff. Oh! Well! Looks like we have commonalities. Are you part of the Deocean too? Sh- should Ellie know what this is? Ellie has no fucking idea what the Deocean are. No, but this is a really great segue into get to know you conversation. As she says this, <laughs> she's going to push forward the dice. 
He sniffs and is like, no, 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 no. Much too new. Much too new. No, no, no. We, 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 um, we speak to the dead. Isn't that so cool? We speak to the dead. We use, we use these things and, and we, and we, uh, we use some, some Numenera, some magic. And we're, we're able to speak with them, talk about them. <laughs> I remember one guy, he came back and all I could remember was the guy who killed him. It was it was a pack of squirrels. That's that's why it was funny. It, it doesn't make sense without that. He scratches his ear again without that part. Ellie's gonna put her hand back over the dice and pull them back to her. Speak to the dead. Yeah, yeah, speak to the dead. Well, <laughs> you, I mean, they, they scream a lot. They scream a lot, so. Can I s- speak to the dead? Uh, um, 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 um. Trick question. I don't know if you can speak to the dead. You haven't told me that yet. Oh, it can wasn't. Can you speak to the dead? It wasn't a trick question. I was just, let me rephrase that. Uh, I want to talk to the dead. Can you help me do that? <sighs> Help, help, help. Yeah, I can help. I can help. I can help. And he scratches off a little like flake of leather from his hat and it just falls down and it's a little, a little card, a little map. It's a business card. He has a business card in his hat. Uh, He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just come to to Henry Hyde Castle. It's in the grass. I... I think I will. And with that, a whistle lets out, indicating the end of this round of speed dating. And that whistle, instead of ending, transforms and and lengthens into a long, deep howl that kind of courses through the mountainside of the Black Riage, where the town of Lagrash is. Lagrash? Lagrash? I like Lagrash. Or Lagrash. I like Legrash, because it's a shitty place. Legrash. Is it just full of nettles? It's a really shitty place. It's a really shitty place. Um, But you're not going to the town proper, although, and trust me on this, it's absolutely your jam. No, instead, a flash of lightning strikes the ground behind Henred Hyde Castle, letting out a thunderous shout that cracks the sky. Small droplets of sand let loose by the storm fall from above like light rain, and Ellie Badge walks into view, stopping for a second to view the castle at the end of her winding upward climb. And then... We see her fist collide with the 20-foot-tall door at the castle's entrance, dust gently falling from the vibrating door onto her hat. And then after a few moments, a little hatch slides open, and you just see a skull. And it says, expressionless, Password. Kyle, do I know the password? No, you don't know the password. (laughs) Oh, there's the password. Was that your password response? Yes? You are incorrect. And the door slams shut. I'm gonna knock on it again. And it slides open. Password. Please. No. Thank you. Also, no. Death. And uh, you saw the thing was starting to slide shut and it opens up. Yes, death. Death comes for us all. Shit, I just said the password. (laughs) That doesn't count. Death comes for us all. God damn it.
<laughs> and with that, the thing shuts and the door opens and you just see this tall figure in a black robe with a with a skull mask open it and just kind of poutily sit down. <sighs> After a few seconds, you see um, Faze like just kind of pounce in the view. Oh, who is that, Gabby? Who is that? Was there someone new? Did they know the password? <gasps> Did you tell them the password again? <sighs> Gabby has done a lot. Gabby really likes exposition. Oh, Gabby. Gabby really, really likes her monologues. Oh, Gabby. Hey, hey, you came. You came. Yeah, I did. Just to clarify, you know, this This isn't like a second date or anything from the speed dating. Oh, and you see he uh, lets down one of his paws, which has uh, which has a bunch of flowers in them. Oh. And he says, oh, that's okay. Come with me. <laughs> and he starts bounding off. Happy kid. (laughs) As the door slams shut behind you, your nose curls at the clinical lack of smell, besides that of singed clothing and hair. Electricity sneaks along the banisters of spiraling staircases, settling inside of glass orbs connected to benches, bags, bolts, positioned on rooms adjacent to you, and platforms connected to the ceiling like chandeliers above you. Exuberant laughter lets up from scientists scurrying from experiment to experiment. And occasionally you'll see an uncertain widow or a disguised grave robber desperately trying to fit in. Uh, and something I didn't have here in my pre-written thing, all of them absolutely, you know, face as gray fur, but all of them are like, uh, have gray hair, but with like the lightning bolt white strike in them and face has it down each ear. And yeah, they're all really excited. They're just very excited morally ambiguous scientist types. Like, if you want a place to practice your evil laugh, this would be where to do it. Uh, and so, yeah, you see all of them. You see a few widows. Um, one of them, one of them catches your eye just because you're looking around and you just see this absolutely gorgeous, beautiful woman in uh, in her early 50s with a uh, cleft lip and long curls soberly looking down uh, at one of the items there. Ellie trips over her feet just a little bit. Not like enough to <laughs> fall but just like I I saw that but no one heard I know that. I don't know how to like Emily's just staring as she turns her head as she's walking by you know that thing that aloe people do I'm trying that's what that's what aloe people do anyways but phase quickly leaves you into the room and he kind of like perches on top of a fountain of a woman wearing a top hat and holding an umbrella which looks like it's been unrooted uh not the like umbrella like the fountain itself looks like it's just been picked up and moved all right all right all right you ready you ready you ready yeah i guess all right so um all we need to do is take something uh that's been in the past and he um, he picks up a coin that has been like thrown into the fountain, you know, for luck. And he puts it underneath what looks like this big microscope. And then and then and then we crush it. And he pulls a lever and just like the thing gets diced into a million pieces. It gets crushed down upon it, gets zapped, it explodes. And then a ghost just like flies out of it. And it's like, I have nothing of particular to say. And then suddenly the ghost kind of bursts into dust, which falls down to where the thing got zapped, the coin got zapped. And then FaZe just sniffs that and brushes it away. He's like, yeah, that. So you just gotta gotta blow stuff up. And then and then you can, you know, I don't really even know why you are here. Why is Ellie here? Uh, I guess specifically what I want to ask is that I can see Ellie being here for one of two reasons. 
She could be here to talk to Carl, or she could be here to get clues. And I'm curious what her priorities now, like 40 years after his death, what her priorities are now. If she if she got a clue, it wouldn't be unwelcome, but if she's if she's stopped looking decades before this, I think at this point she just wants him back. She's not as much angry anymore, and without the anger that was so much of what she felt, it's gotta be kind of empty. I understand. Faze doesn't. And as Ellie's thinking about this, she notices that he is kind of scrambling. Like, he is on top of you at this point. Mind you, he normally walks, like, you know, on two feet. But he's just perched on top of you, and he's kind of just sniffing through. He's like, so what do you want to What do you want to give? What do you want to put into it? What do you want to... And, like, you can just hear clamoring as, like, what do you hear, cat? Meow! As, like, things are just being thrown out of the hat and strewn across the place. Get off! Sniffing... Oh, what about this? What about this? Ooh, bright candles. Don't He's touch that. Ellie is going to grab him by the scruff of his neck and yank him off of the hat and forcefully shove him. And you just hear a little, a little yelp as he hits the wall and like scurries back. I told you not something. to touch them. I'm sorry or whatever. Can I just... Blow up one of these flowers. And she plucks one of the peonies off of her hat. He just shakes his head. Shakes his head. Like, yes. Shakes his head like, yes. That's nodding. Shaking your head is no. Fine, he fucking nods. He (laughs) nods. I'm sorry, I'm a little on edge. Yeah, so anyways, uh, you've plucked out the flower. You turn over and you see this big, threatening, crackling machine. And you look... And you just see a few flakes of ash from where the coin inside the fountain was completely removed. What do you do? Ellie stops and watches the little flakes of ash for a second. And she thinks about the ghost being there and then immediately being gone. I don't know what she would do. She's going to look down at, at the flower and consider pinching off just a tiny bit of one of the petals. Maybe that'll work. And then she'll still have all of them because at least those things aren't ghosts. She can feel the familiar weight of them with every step she takes and it's comforting. And she'll pull off one of the petals and put it in the machine. Slices, slams, ignites, explodes. She flinches every time. And you start to see a little trail come up. And then it disappears into ash. Ellie's not gonna acknowledge this thought. She's not gonna let herself think any more deeply about it than this passing flash of understanding. She wasn't sure that she could have watched Carl's ghost. She wasn't sure that she wouldn't have left or covered her ears or done something else very un like And she's not gonna acknowledge how scared she was when that little plume of smoke started. And without another word, she's... Gonna put the rest of the flower back into her hat and leave. 
And so Ellie Badge leaves behind her last chance at seeing Carl again. Except as you make it down to the very bottom of the castle, you feel like your hat is a bit lighter. And then you remember that that fucking thing, don't know what the fuck a dog is, that fucking phase in his excitement had knocked out half of the contents of your hat. And now they're kept captive in the middle of Henrenhide Castle. Ellie will freeze, curse loudly, and she turns on her heel and rages back inside. Gabby! I'll have you know, my name is Death Sonny. comes for us all! Mm, I didn't even get to say my cool name. Screw you, Gabby! <laughs> open the door! It opens up! Where is Faze? What do I look like? His girlfriend? No. And you can see the mask turns down a little bit sad. Ellie's just gonna <laughs> commence with ignoring Gabby and her boyfriend friend issues <laughs> and storm back towards the room. So you walk through and you're on your way to the room and then suddenly you smell the familiar rustic smell of that bead of uh, silk pearls, which were very rusty and gross. Uh, and you just see a, uh, a scientist talking to that woman you had seen earlier with the curls. He's like, are, are, are you sure that this belonged to you? Are you sure that this belonged to you? Are you sure? Uh, and the woman just says, yes, I am sure it belonged to me, but uh, I, I'm, I'm going to need a moment with it alone to think. Those are my pearls? Yeah. <sighs> well, this is going to go well. <laughs> Ellie, <laughs> can I go up to them? And okay, she's going to look at the scientist and say, scram. Please, I just need a moment here. Yeah. Have a moment to yourself without my pearls. Who? These are your pearls? What? Oh, I'm sorry. No, these are my pearls. I'm not quite sure what she's talking about. Really? Because they were on my hat until someone, she's going to look around just in case FaZe is here, tore up my hat. Well, I am most sorry about that, and she makes eye contact with you, but I don't think accusing others of pearls is the right option. Uh, why are you saying they're yours? Because they are mine? Well, if they're yours, then why do you have them here talking to dead people? <sighs> That's what we're here to do. If I could just have a moment to myself, please. Yeah, give us a moment to ourselves. <laughs> Ellie's gonna take one step closer and try to puff up and be really threatening. Ooh, ooh, I will go and leave you two to sort this out. And the scientist uh, leaves. As soon as it does, the woman kind of like adjusts her hair a little bit and she says, I am most dreadfully sorry for that lying about your pearls. I just needed them as cover, see. What? Ellie is a, very much in rage. She, she extends a hand and she says, Ramya Naomi Gabriella Brackleberry. I'm looking for something from my family's ancestral garden. But from what I've heard, they're not keen on giving things back that they have stolen. Ellie's just going to stare at the hand and then look back up to her face. 
and then look back down at the hand, and then look back up at her face. Hi. Can I have him back now? Uh, I would prefer if you would wait until the ruse is completed. You know what? I have a buttload of other things I need to go find. If you're just gonna be here the whole time, I'll come back on my way out. That sounds like a wonderful option. Thank you so much. Ellie, and uh, if you try to run off without returning these, uh, I will find you. But however far you try to run, uh, wherever you try to hide. Um, what? You hear a voice behind you say, they were yours the whole time? But she was lying about it? Scandal! Scandal! And the scientist runs off screaming, Scandal! Scandal! And you start to hear uh, some alarms start playing like, as like, doors start slamming down all over the place. I have shit to find! (laughs) (laughs) And as you say that, you feel the beads press against your chest. And I can help you find them. Presuming those threats you made towards me were an accurate assessment of your abilities? You know, uh, pretty accurate. Excellent. With that, you get to fucking work. You clear out room to room, at least just like decking scientists as they come by. And during this time, every time you get to a room, you struggle to find something, but Ramya is able to find it with relative ease, like you have no idea. She just starts pulling them out of nowhere. And at this point, you've recovered basically everything on the hat. And there is only one door left. I'm gonna kick it down. You kick it down, and it is the door that you are in. As you enter into this room, you stand for a few seconds. You see the ash in the corner where take where you had evaporated some of the flour. Uh, you see the fountain in the center. And after a few moments, for the first time, Ramya is sitting there. And she is paying no attention to what you're doing because she's sitting there with her hand on her chin, staring at the base of this fountain. What? Well, this is quite the puzzle. Ellie, having found everything, is much calmer now and has sort of begun to re-notice Ramya. (laughs) (laughs) What's so interesting about it? Well, isn't it obvious? Hadn't you wondered why I was lying earlier about your things, what I was here for? I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I was real pissed. Um, Come look. And she points to the bottom of the fountain and you can see a, uh, an inscription. I am the bringer of life, but when I'm around, most living things shy away. To look through me is to see less. Yet when light is cast through me, you'll see more. Plus, I'm just a delightful addition to romantic proclamations. What am I? That's like a really long quote. Well, that's not a quote. It is, it is a riddle. Hmm. And she goes back into deep thought for a few more seconds. Ellie will, like, glance over and then uh, stroke her chin and stare at it, too. She has no idea what this means. <laughs> There's, like, no clue. But she's at least going to pretend to be trying. I've got it. And she pulls a canteen out and she uh, sticks it into the water part of the fountain and she motions to right above the umbrella. Uh, If I could borrow your hands, please. Sure. 
She's going to grab one of your hands with her index finger and her thumb and she'll move it above and she'll lightly splay it out and she'll do the other one on top of that so it makes kind of a grid. These aren't going to get burned off, are they? And she doesn't answer because she's too deep in thought for the puzzle. And she starts pouring out the water, which pools into your hand and starts dripping down from the first hand to the second hand. And as a few of the drops go from your second hand and start hitting the top of the umbrella, she repeats the puzzle. I'm the bringer of life, but when I'm around, most living things shy away. To look straight through me is to see less, but when light is cast through me, you'll see more. And while I'm not that familiar with romantic proclamations, this does make sense to be delightful on that occurrence. And then uh, she looks down beneath your hands as more drops start to trickle off on the umbrella and fall off. Just like rain. And after a few moments, the umbrella shifts downwards and the top hat of the woman in the statue twists and slides and falls off. And Ramya reaches in and she pulls out a small copper and glass orb with a wind-up toy key on the side and segmented sheets of puzzle inside. And she gingerly pockets it and she looks to you and nods her head in affirmation that she is ready to go. Ellie will follow. (laughs) And she... Again, doesn't necessarily want to think about why. Ramya, fiddling with the copper and glass wind-up orb she'd taken from the fountain, asked Ellie to escort her back to camp that night. Ellie, curious and at a loss for what to do next, said yes. Ellie realized fairly quickly that Ramya noticed and assessed every little thing. By the time it dawned on her though, she'd already been awkwardly trying to flirt on and off for a few hours and Ramya had definitely noticed. Ramya ignored it and asked Ellie to call her Ray. When Ray was lost in thought, and Ray was often lost in thought, she would set her chin in the palm of her hand and fiddle with the button of her coat sleeve. Once in a while, she'd even let her shoulders slump a little out of their usual perfect posture. She had three thinking chairs. Her tall chair meant she didn't want to be disturbed. She wanted company if she was in the rocker. If Ray was in her painted wood chair by the door, Ellie would stand behind her and run her fingers through Ray's long hair. Ellie would tease Ray for putting curlers in every night, but they both knew Ellie thought her hair was beautiful. Ellie liked how smart Ray was, the smarter of the two of them, more calculating and more logical, but she never made it feel like it was a bad thing. When Ellie decided that she didn't need the setup instructions for her new tent and tossed them into the fire for dramatic effect, Ray let her pile and repile the rods and nodded patiently every time Ellie insisted that she was almost there this time. And somehow, when Ray finally stepped in and in seconds found the painted numbers indicating what to put where, Ellie didn't feel judged or patronized. Ray had a way of making her feel like she was good just the way she was. And the reason Ellie didn't feel judged by Ray was because she wasn't. Ray liked the way Ellie threw herself into things with a single-minded passion, how she was always moving at least a little, how she was stubborn and blunt and laughed at herself, how she cared. And Ellie liked how Ray cared too, how kind and thoughtful she was, how certain she seemed in her own skin. It was nice. Get up, Ellie, get up! 
Ellie, your eyes open, and for a brief moment you see like what looks to be almost the fog of a very old face on a very young man, uh, but it dissipates and you notice that it is just a deathly serious ray, her hair spilling down above you as she just stands above you and looks down. Ellie's gonna like flail and like sit up really quick. What? Where's the f- where do I punch? <laughs> oh, nothing to punch today, but something very important that I think you'll want to attend to. And as Ray is saying that, you can see she is moving with the deliberates and elegance that she always does, but with a lot more speed this time, as she slips a long professional coat over her comfortable magenta dress. Ellie has no idea what's going on. She's half asleep, and she, like throws a shawl over her pajamas, then throws another one on, then pauses for a second, like when you're trying to keep your eyes open so you open them really, really wide and just like sways a little bit and puts another one on. So you're bundled like five layers of clothing. She then realizes that it is... What is the weather like? Let's say it's the middle of fucking summer. Yeah, she then realizes that it's hot. And like, as she walks, she'll drop a couple of the shawls. Just, she's very messy. It's like... So you two make your way out of the tent and you start walking down this uh, pathway next to a lake. And Ray says to you, Now I'll be honest, I'm not sure if it's your thing, but if I will admit there was a bit of an ulterior motive for inviting you. And a bit of fear hits Ellie in the heart. Because you realize that Ray gets down to, like, there's a little cliffside she's at the bottom of. And you see, next to the water, the only thing Ray would have needed your strength for. You see a beached boat. And you assume that she intends to push it into the water. Oh, a boat. Yes, and a heavy one at that. And you can see Ray has pressed herself, her back against the boat, and is pushing against it. And she uh, stops and she starts looking for a piece of wood that she can use to leverage it. I got it, Ray. <laughs> and she's going to haul it, haul it out towards um, the water. Is that where she was trying yes, to push it? She push it in the water and Ray's delighted. You know how someone, when they'll put their hands up and they'll do a little bit of a clap? <laughs> yeah. She just does a very, uh, very delighted very delighted double clap and she uh gets into the boat and starts uh just like it's horrifying to you with the speed with which she just stands in the boat as it's rocking and then just starts making herself uh getting ready to sit down at least gonna have like a hand outstretched like uh don't do it she's not gonna say that but just like a look of kind of horror She's not saying anything. Okay. She's just watching. All right, we um we can make the meteor shower, but we do have to move quickly. I'm getting on the boat. Well, yes, I'm assuming you're getting on the Oh, oh, I I I understand. Well, you obviously don't have to uh come with me, but and she extends a hand. I've got you if you do. Oh. That's not what Ellie says. <laughs> oh. Okay, uh, um, me and boats don't have a good relationship. I'll sink it. She laughs a little. <laughs> I assure you, you won't. But it's, it's an abomination. It's, it's, people aren't supposed to float. Ellie, 
it's all right. And she grabs your hand as if she's going to take you into the boat. And then she steps out and probably up to the very bottom of her dress gets wet. As you realize it was just in like two feet of water. And she says, we'll walk. You, again, you don't hear much besides the creaking of the boat in the distance back at shore and the rippling of the water as it goes probably about to, like, your shoulders and about to raise, like, uh, I would probably say the top of her thighs <laughs> as you stand out in the water. And as you're there, she, uh, she fiddles with the orb in her hands that she reclaimed. What you doing? Oh, um, well, looking for the allies of the Brackleberries, of course. In a ball? I don't think I understand what that thing does. <laughs> sorry. Oh, right. I, I'm so sorry. No, this, this is an heirloom of my family that if you wind it up, it will show you someone who wants to be found. Uh, I was hoping to assemble it to find whatever allies the Brackleberries have left. Although right now I'm searching for someone in particular. And she looks at the orb and you can see inside of it is the figure of, it looks like a, uh, a small humanoid uh, in a wheelchair. Who's that? Her look of almost like gentle pride when looking at that orb turns to kind of surprise. And she says, you don't, you don't know about the Brackleberries, do you? I, I've lived in the beyond my whole life. I don't. And she just goes, of, of course, how foolish of me. My family has been at the highest level of public service for uh, the country of Anquan for some years now. You would call us royalty. Oh! Yeah, I was first in line for the throne, but it was, as I'm sure you can tell by the way that I worked around the word royalty, it isn't necessarily the kind of thing I'm interested in. I passed it on to my sister Petra and my niece Anastasia, but a short while ago our youngest brother kicked us out by force. And while I don't think Vincent has any intentions of following us, it's just very important to make sure that we're safe. Oh, uh, she turns up in the sky and your eyes follow her. And in the sky, you see lights. One, then two, then thousands of lights filling up the sky, flames crossing beyond the world. And in that light of passage, you see the woman before you, articulate and intelligent and kind. And you wonder what someone like Ray is doing standing waist deep in a pond with someone like her. And your answer comes as her hand reaches down and dips into the water. And between all the minnows and the fish, you can feel her pinky wrap around your index finger. We're probably going to make it to camp tomorrow, but... I think it would be great if you could stay around a bit longer. I wouldn't mind. And she looks back at you uh, and your eyes lock. And it's just, the for the first time in forever, it's the perfect romantic moment. Until your gaze moves from her eyes down to her mouth, as it says. I can't wait to introduce you to my daughter. Welcome to the announcement break for episode 35, Ellie's Memory Part 2. I am Kyle, your GM, and today I wanted to let you know, did you know our outro song for this episode, which is our, normally our intro song, 
is friends by Miracle of Sound. That's pretty nifty. Something that's also pretty nifty is that if you tweet or Tumblr out about the show using the hashtag QuestFriends, you could be added to a name pool, which is used to name characters, items, places. Our name pool member today is FaZe, named for FaZe from What Phase on Twitter or Just Phase Art on Tumblr. Thanks so much for tweeting out about the show and making really cool art of our characters that I just, I really like. So we're coming up on the end of our mini arc. This is the last episode of Ellie's Memories, which means we're making our way towards the next big arc. And so the schedule is a little funky until then. So the first thing is you are going to receive not one, but two bonus episodes this Wednesday, April 17th where we are going to release What If, a crossover with the Amber Clave, where we basically take characters from their universe and we plop them into our story. So you'll get to see the characters from that other Numenera podcast interact with some of the world and some of the characters from our show. But in addition to that, On their stream, we're going to be doing a what-if scenario with our characters, where we're going to take Hop, Misha, Shock, and Ellie, and we're going to throw them into the underwater ocean, which is just the ocean, because it's all water. They're going to be doing an adventure in the ocean. I actually was able to listen into it while trying to beat the first level of Kingdom Hearts. Don't worry about it. And it was a lot of fun to listen to. I'm very excited to listen to like the new edited version of that. So be sure to check out Amber Clave on whatever your favorite podcasting service is in order to see our episode with them. And then be sure to check out our stream on this Wednesday, which again will be split into two episodes. Following that, we're going to have a brief story summary releasing next Monday. It's going to cover all the important events of the story so far. While you don't need to listen to it to understand the rest of the story, it's a great place to kind of get a refresher on all the important names and world building bits and stuff that's happened. And it's also a great way to get uh, prospective new listeners. Let them just be like, hey, listen to this. You're caught up and then you can start with the newest episodes and they don't have to worry about the 35 episode backlog. And then finally, on Monday, April 29th, we will be starting the first episode of our next arc, Crime and Courtship. I'll see you then. And the best thing about a bee is that it can provoke an allergic reaction and kill. Oh, too strong? Not strong enough. No, it was perfect, beekeeper Ellie. Beekeeper! After all, bees make honeycombs, and honeycombs never fly from friends in need because sweetness is when we stick together. In front of you, Ellie, you see a bright six-year-old girl with chestnut hair. Uh, She is named, as she says every time she introduces herself, Anastasia Margot Maria Brackleberry. She and you are both wearing an orange sash with yellow honeycombs pinned to it. Each honeycomb has an imprinted name on it. Uh, Foraging, archery, friend to animals, the silent game. And you can tell which of these were handwritten by her aunt and mother, and which of these imprints Anastasia was allowed to write herself. Anastasia is part of the two-girl group of the Honeycomb. 
fearless, braveless explorers who never fly from friends because sweetness is when we stick together. And somehow in the months with which you went back to the Brackleberry camp, you have gotten enlisted with the role of leading this troop. What are, what, what are you out doing today? What, what is the honeycomb? What is the badge you're going for today? So this badge is one that was approved by Ray, but suggested by Ellie. Okay. This is the slightly blunted axe throwing badge. <laughs> All right, slightly blunted axe throwing badge. We can switch to archery. <laughs> no, you no, know, she already has archery. All right, continue with uh, continue with the plan. All right. You both have your axes? Sure do. And you see one hand and one axe raise because there is only one child in front of you. Do you both have your axes? She says in a strained voice, hoping that another axe will be raised. Um, another axe raises into the air and a voice says, yep, both hands have their axes. And you look down and you see this little bright eyed girl staring at you. I love your enthusiasm, Anastasia, but where is your cousin? Your question is answered as in the distance you can see the treetops start to waver and parts of them start to disappear. It's a it's a proverb that if a tree falls in a forest with no one else to listen to it doesn't make a sound. But that's not relevant here because that sound is heard by everybody. Ellie will gently pry both of the axes from Anastasia's hands, bury them in the dirt, just like whack them down into there. Anastasia, stay here. And deeper into the trees, uh, we hear those vibrations and we see a tree. And then from out of the corner of our eye, we see a very blunt axe, what looks like a hammer, come in and slam against the tree, which reverberates. And then five more axes come in and hit it, and the thing just falls over and uproots itself. And we follow the axes back to this large catapult arm, which grabs axes from a pile, lifts them up, and throws them. It is shaky and made out of plywood. It vibrates, and it extends from a wheelchair that is similarly duct-taped together at the points in which inventive use and homemade enhancements have uh, damaged this wheelchair's structural integrity. Piloting the device is a girl slightly older than Anastasia, about 11 years old. Her brown eyes are narrowed in fierce concentration beneath scraggly caramel hair, but an exuberant smile accentuates two adorable dimples. Anastasia is not Ray's daughter. This is Sarah. She's tenacious, she's transgender, and she's a whole heap of trouble. She builds a death machine throwing axes. <sighs> it's not just Ellie being stressed about this. <laughs> Ellie will sprint, panting and gasping to come upon this scene. Sarah, what Sorry. are you doing? What? Sarah? What? Turn off the death machine! The machine powers down, and she looks over to you just like really uh, annoyed, and she like 
blows some hair out of the side of her face. It's not a death machine. Blunt axes can still kill when they're being flung one after the other willy-nilly into the forest. But I thought we were throwing things willy-nilly. It's a little more controlled. Look, I know that in a lot of other situations, I would be all for this death machine, but your mother. Oh, mom. And she like rolls on over to you. Mom yeah. gets worried about everything. I mean, that's what you told me to do. Do you not want me to throw axes? You just, that was so, where did you get that many axes? You see her like hair whipped to the side as she looks back at the axes and she puzzles for the first time. <laughs> where she got them all from. And as she does, you hear a large creaking and you realize that one of the wide trees she had been hitting is slowly tipping down towards you. Anyways, you and mom are so worried about everything. I see this tree coming towards us. Uh, you start to hear it, yeah. I think that maybe we should move and talk about this in a slightly more stable part of the forest and I can tell you why. That's actually... It's a good machine. It's, it's axes are good. You did good axes. I'm gonna and like. She looks up really excited. Really? Yeah, because it took a it took a lot of tries. You should have seen the other ones. Uh, and she goes back and she starts like starting to talk about like, oh well, this was the machine. This is how I built the arm. Starts talking about all those things as the thing continues to come down. I'm trying to usher her. Is she not noticing that I'm trying to no. usher her? Sarah, we can talk about this when there's. The tree's gonna fall. Can we move? What? No, we can talk about this now. And she like pushes the wheelchair back and she like slides back as I'm assuming you jumped the other direction. Yeah. And the tree slams onto the ground and it quakes and the dust rises up a little bit. That was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell your mother. Sarah was wild, brave, and way too smart for her own good. And Sarah loved Ellie. Ellie was what she wanted to be. Sarah brute-forced mechanics the way Ellie brute-forced just about everything. Ellie learned to braid, sweeping Sarah's hair out of her way before she got it caught in her cobbled-up machines. Was their little moment of quiet before the mayhem they'd inevitably cause, the don't-tell-mom type of havoc that made Ellie Sarah's idol. Dancing with Ray was different than dancing with Carl. It was rarely so chaotic and clumsy, and when it was, it was Ellie's doing, pulling Ray out of her elegant waltzes to swing around wildly to no particular rhythm. They shared little kisses sometimes and cuddled by the fire. Ray was tall, was graceful, was sharp and analytical like Carl had never been, and it wasn't bad, just different. The camp grew over the next year and a half as Ray gathered allies. Some were tenuous at best. They all knew it, but the orb she'd taken from the fountain led her to them, which was enough assurance to try. Ellie helped where she could, where the people who knew what was going on wanted her to go. She didn't understand the intricacies of why Ray was gathering a makeshift army, but she could chop wood, carry barrels, guard travelers, and bend rings for chain mail as well as the next person. Preferably better. She liked to show off a little. Ellie thought she could see Carl sometimes. Never for long. Never where she was sure it wasn't a dream or a trick of the light. But she could see him. And it wasn't that she was unhappy with Ray and Sarah. But her candles remained lit. So we're going to flash forward about like a year and a half. It's been a while. 
You've really thrived as the beekeeper of the uh, of the honeycombs. Every so often you lead Sarah in charge of Anastasia. And they love it. They both fucking love it. But those are always kept secret from their mothers. And in the meanwhile, you've been uh, helping Ray on her on her missions to recover some folks. And in this time, the camp has really blossomed from something small into this very big thing. Who did you just recover? And what, what, what was like the last mission that you did? The last mission that we did was to recover three Brackleberry allies. They were lost in a bog. All right, so you recovered Larry, Curly, and Mo from a bog. Uh, it was almost like they were trying to die. Like, every time one would get up, it would push the other one down. It just became like a recurring effect. You eventually got them out, and they've been, I wouldn't say silent. They haven't said a word since then, but there's been a lot of, like, honk, burp, 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 uh, sound effects as you came back. Uh, but Ray hasn't been uh, noticing. She's been fidgeting with her wind-up orb, already ready for the next project, while Ellie is carrying armfuls of things that Sarah requested for her next project. This next upcoming project was going to be rocket skates, with which she could rocket skate around the lake, which her previous invention had figured out how to freeze. And when you ask, like, how would this work, Sarah just kept smiling at you before eventually saying, oh yeah, don't forget the olives. <laughs> So you're making your way back with this armful of enticing olives, as well as some other things. And you hear Ray's voice kind of kicks you out of this memory. Uh, she doesn't usually emote, but she's just been laughing uproariously about the the Three Stooges incident. Just like how silly it was. And um, I uh, I appreciate how how you've been with with Sarah. She's a good kid. She is. A little too good, if you ask me. It's quite puzzling how soon as you two got close, I stopped hearing about any mischief that she's been doing. She kind of like looks at you with a with a playful expression. Guess I was a real good influence on her. You know, there's something actually coming up that I wanted to talk to you about. Every Brackleberry princess goes through a rite of passage where we find our companion. Mine was Seski. He was, as one might expect, a uh, Seski who was just good and loyal and, and straightforward and predictable. He even got us a fruit basket right before he died. He full of our favorite stuff that he knew we would uh we would need to cope. Normally, it happens at a specific age, but we uh Petra and I have been thinking about having Anastasia and Sarah do it at the same time, just as you know they've been bonding. And <laughs> I was gonna say that we wanted you to do it because you're the head of the honeycombs, but really, well. And she, like, just looks at you and she looks over at the camp and at Sarah, who is just bounding towards you. Oh, Ellie, Ellie, did you get the components? Yeah, and this ridiculous number of olives. Sarah, I still don't understand that part. Oh, that's, and she pops one in her mouth, that's brain juice. Oh, have fun with your brain juice. <laughs> oh, I had something. I, I I have something for you. And she uh starts to wheel off into the woods. And you hear like a <laughs> And she uh comes back and you see that she has distilled the tree into this uh into two tiny uh honeycombs. I was finally able to get the uh blunt axe thing to work. I realized you shouldn't make them blunt. And she sucks on one of her uh, fingers, which you can see has a cut on it. Sarah. It's fine. You sound like mom. Uh, and she smiles a little bit at that before presenting one of the two honeycombs with to you. Thanks. 
And I don't know if Sarah notices in her excitement, but Ellie shrinks into herself a little bit. Her posture changes, and for once, Ellie's not trying to make herself look bigger than she is. She's trying to make herself small. And that slumping continues as Ellie slumps smaller and smaller, and she falls down, but onto the bed. It's a few hours later, and you're finally in your nighttime routine, and Ellie is still looking at this little wooden honeycomb. While Ray, not paying any attention, just fidgeting with the orb, says, Yeah, so it's uh, first daylight tomorrow morning is when we'll be heading out and finding uh, the companion creatures. I'm very curious to see what kind of thing Sarah finds. Dreadfully hope it isn't a bee. Those things adapted hard to whatever the previous worlds did to them. At least the bees didn't die out. (laughs) Yeah, pretty awesome, huh? (laughs) But there's not her usual level of excitement. And she looks up at Ray, who is elegant as always, and then she's going to tuck the honeycomb into her hat. It's a big day tomorrow. Don't wait up. And she's going to head for the door. And as you uh, walk away, you're halted not by Ray's voice, but by Sarah's, as she says from the other room. Good night. Love you, Mom. Love you, Ollie. Ellie shuts the door. She didn't have a route in mind or a place in mind, so she just goes. And when she's tired, she finds an inn with a bar and stops at least for an hour or two. The important part is that Ray and Sarah are not there. So you sit there for a few hours, pounding your drinks. What do you drink? Something gross. Something cheap and strong. And after a few uh, hours of of drinking, uh, you hear a familiar creak to the left of you. And a voice says, Now, what's a lady like you doing someplace so nasty at night? She's gonna whip her head around. Uh, You whip over and where you thought you heard Carl's voice, you... Now I'm hearing things on top of being an asshole. Well, at least you can accept that part. And to your right, you can see Ray has sat there. She just raises her fingers uh, for an order of their fanciest, shittiest alcohol. <laughs> hey. Hey. Or, hello. What are you doing here? You know, I've been puzzled by that hat of yours for a while. I wasn't bothered that you didn't tell me about your past, because I had no obligation to know it. But if that mystery is going to cloud my daughter's future, it might have to be something I know about. And after a few moments of silence, she gets up and she's like, I have to properly wash up before attending to my drink. So I will be back, hopefully, for a thorough conversation. And she walks into the bathroom. And you turn back to your drink. And you start thinking about what you're gonna say. Are you gonna tell her the whole story? Are you gonna tell her any part of the story? And then you see the copper orb that she has been winding up in for someone that wants to be found. And you see that the metallic figures have taken the bundled up 
old man, young man's face with a million different instruments and components attached to it on this giant monstrous backpack. Ellie reaches back up into her hat and she pulls two things off of it. She plucks off Pearl from the chain of pearls and the honeycomb and she sets it next to Ray's glass and she takes the copper orb and leaves. And you walk for hours following its every direction and, and you've watched Ray use it and it seems to work. Because right before, as the first beams of sunlight start to shoot through the trees, you see the shadow of this short man with a heavily backpack thing with a million instruments. What are you feeling? What are you preparing to do? I just run towards it. You run and you push through the trees and suddenly you hear a... As this terrified elderly woman falls on her back in turtles and you see that this is a backpack filled with a bunch of different like dentistry instruments oh i'm sorry don't hurt me i'll help fix your molars i i thought you were someone else why did this thing tell me to find you well i don't know i'm just i'm just a dentist please again don't hurt me i'm royalty i'm actually fifth cousin to the Breckleborys. Uh, I am so very lost. Please don't hurt me. What are you looking for? Uh, food? Shelter? That would be nice. There's an inn over there. Oh, cool. Uh, and she looks and she's like, I don't see one because you've been walking for hours. Yeah, just in that direction. It's not like right behind me. Oh, okay. And she picks up the bag and she just trots off. I'm gonna glance after her and then, is this just showing me brackleberries? Is that what this is? You were told that this is a device that finds someone who wants to be found. Specifically, someone who wants to be found by the device's user. You thought that was Carl, but Carl can't be found. Carl's dead, Ellie. The best thing you can hope for is someone who wants to be found because they need to find an inn, or they could be a tenuous ally for the Brackleberries. One night, weeks from then, somewhere along the edge of the camp, when someone woke up and walked by, they might find the orb. But Ellie didn't go back. It was almost a decade later that Ellie heard whispered rumors of the coming coup. The forces Ray had gathered were finally moving in on the tyrant king of Anquan. In the sense of the world, this was the coup of Anquan, where the young queen Anastasia Brackleberry regained her throne. But to Ellie, the only thing that mattered was that Sarah and Ray were in danger. Ellie had wanted to reach out, to ask them how they'd been, to see them again, but she never did. The closest she came was in the form of mysteriously cleared out enemy camps and a few disoriented soldiers telling tales of a deadly chair and a figure with fire on its head. After the coup was over and the Brackleberries had won, Ellie gave up. She wasn't going to reach out, she'd waited too long already. That dream was dead. So Ellie lit the third candle. And then Ellie headed out to do what she knew she could do well. Wander, hit things, and wreck some shit.
your nose curls is the clinical lack of smell. Besides that of she's clothing and hair, electricity snicks along the banisters of spiraling staircases, settling inside of glass orbs connected to benches, bags, boats, poised on rooms adjacent to you and platforms connected to the ceiling like chandeliers above you. <laughs> I do not have a character who spoke like this, and I am very disappointed because I really like this voice. I was trying not. I was trying to just let you. This finish is my narrator. <laughs> Welcome to Henry no. Hyde Castle. I am Henry Hen Hen Hyde Hen Hyde. I can't pronounce the name of my own castle or your own name. It's yes. just your name. Yes, my name is Henry Hanrenheid. Hanrenheid? Hanrenheid. It's German. I feel like you should know this. I sh- I sh- <laughs> Henry Hanrenheid will come back for Quest Friends season two. 